The sketch that we just saw is a reminder that death comes to all men. And what happens then? Will you be ready for it? Today we're going to be looking at one of the great miracles in Scripture. In John chapter 11, and I'd invite you to turn there. This is the seventh miracle, or seventh miraculous sign in John's Gospel. And to me, it is one of the most amazing miracles that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. Every miracle that Jesus did illustrated some aspect of his power and his authority. But this miracle deals with the last and most irresistible of man's enemies, death. Death comes to all men. There is no escaping it. It's not convenient. It doesn't come at the time that we would like it to come, but it comes. And what will happen then? This miracle also will set in motion the events that lead to Christ's death. In John's Gospel, prior to the cross, it is the climactic miracle that sets in motion a series of things that are going to happen now that will lead through the Passion Week into the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But it is a wonderful story that we read here in John chapter 11. A wonderful story of Jesus' compassion and His power. I have used this text many times and spoken from it at funeral services. It is a powerful story that illustrates Jesus' compassion for us when we stand at the grave of a loved one and our hearts are moved. And it's a great encouragement because we see Jesus has power over death. Well, let's take a look at this text and what God wants to say to us this morning. I'd like to read uh, verses 1 to 16 as we begin. John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. And then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. 
What is John trying to tell us here about Jesus and about his power? Well, one of the things I see is that Jesus changes the way we look at death. In this story, he tells us about this man named Lazarus. And Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. He was the brother of Martha and Mary, who we know from other stories in the gospel. We know the story of Martha and Mary, where Jesus went to visit their home, for example. And Martha was waiting on him, and Mary was sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. It seems that Jesus had been at their house many times from the scriptures and stayed in their home. Bethany was not far from Jerusalem, less than two miles, just to the east of the city of Jerusalem. You would go across the Kidron Valley and over the Mount of Olives to the village of Bethany, where Jesus would stay. But Lazarus had fallen sick, and his illness was so serious that they had no hope apart from Jesus coming to heal him. And so they sent word to bring Jesus back, even though they knew that it would be dangerous for Jesus to return to Judea. To, to Judea. I'm having a little trouble here with my words. Jesus was in Perea. He was on the east side of the Jordan River, about 20 miles away, a day's journey. And so they sent their messengers to Jesus. And when they came to Jesus and told him what had happened, they talked about how serious Lazarus was. And when, Lazarus, when Jesus heard this, he said to his disciples that this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that these things have happened, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. You see, when you look at the life of Jesus, everything in Jesus' life he did to bring glory to the Father And through this miracle, Jesus would also be glorified. He would be lifted up and exalted. We would see more clearly who he is and his power and authority. The same thing can also be true, though, in our life. That every circumstance in our life can be used for God's glory if we will trust him too. The challenges you face today, the decisions you make, the opportunities that you have to grow or to serve God can be used for His glory if you will put them in His hands. Even those difficult circumstances of life where we need to wait upon Him can be opportunities for us to show grace or patience or trust in God and He can be honored through those circumstances. Here Jesus would be glorified even through the death of Lazarus. When we look at this text then, we see that Jesus did not say that Lazarus would not die. What he was saying is that death would not have the last word. And they would see what he meant by that. And we are told too that Jesus, when he heard this news, chose to stay two more days in Perea where he was. And some have looked at that and they wonder, why did he stay? Why did he not go immediately? Wasn't that a little bit unfeeling or insensitive on Jesus' part? Not at all. In fact, if you look at the chronology of this text, you'll understand that by the time the messengers arrived to see Jesus, Lazarus was already dead. And Jesus knew that. 
we have a indication here again of Jesus' supernatural knowledge when he tells the disciples plainly in verse 14 that Lazarus is dead. You see, the distance between Bethany and Perea was about a day's journey. So if the messengers had left, it seems that Lazarus died sometime shortly after they left. It would take them a day to arrive to meet Jesus. Then Jesus stayed two days. Then it would take another day for Jesus to return back to Bethany. And when he arrived, we are told that Lazarus had already been dead and in the tomb for four days. Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead. That there was nothing more that he could do at that time. And he waited for God's time to arrive. He waited for that time when the people would believe that this was past hope, that there was nothing that could be done for Lazarus before he returned and demonstrated his power. And so he tells the disciples after the two days in verse 7, he says, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and yet you are going back there? They knew the danger that Jesus would be in and that they themselves would be in if they returned. And Jesus gave them this kind of cryptic answer. He said, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by the day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. God has given us enough time to accomplish the things that he wants us to do in this life. He's given us enough time if we will walk in the light with him. But there's not enough time to waste it or squander it. And what Jesus is teaching the disciples here, I believe, is a principle. That it is better to walk in the light with God than to walk in the darkness without God. That it is better to follow Him even though sometimes He may take us into difficult or even dangerous places than it is to walk in the darkness apart from God. Jesus changed forever the way that we look at death. In verse 9, excuse me, in verse 11, after He had said this, He went on to tell them about Lazarus, that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I'm going there to wake him up. And they quite naturally took that word sleep to refer to natural sleep. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus used the word sleep as a euphemism for death in the same way that we sometimes try to soften death and we'll say that someone passed away. We don't like to use that word or state it plainly that so-and-so died. We try to soften it as well. And the word sleep does that, but the word sleep is significant in what it tells us about death and the way that Jesus changed the way we look at death. Sleep reminds us that death is temporary, that we will awake from it, just like when a person goes to bed at night or lies down for a nap. We will one day awake. 
The Bible tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We see that in passages like 2 Corinthians 5 or Philippians 1, 21-24, where Paul, when he was in dire straits or he was in prison, even looked at his alternatives. And he understood that if he was in this life, he would have fellowship with God and he would continue to serve Him as long as he had breath. But if he died, it would be gain. He would go to be with Christ. For the believer, when we pass from this life, we go immediately and consciously into the presence of the Lord. And secondly, sleep reminds us that death, like sleep, is harmless. It doesn't mean that death is not difficult. And for some, it is even painful and it seems long in coming. But ultimately, death cannot harm those who believe in Jesus Christ. The sting is gone, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. That the sting of death is found in sin, but Jesus has won the victory. And so that penalty of death is taken away. And when we die in Christ, we will pass into His very presence to that new morning that will never end. There's a wonderful illustration of this truth that comes from the funeral for Winston Churchill. When Winston Churchill died, his service, funeral service was held in St. Paul's Church in London, a beautiful cathedral there. And as that service came to its closing, like many military services, there was the song Taps that was played at the end. And high up in the dome of St. Paul's Church, there was a bugler. And as that service came to its close, Taps was played, long and reverently. There was the passing of an era in many ways with Churchill. It wasn't just simply the passing of a life, but it was the passing of an era for England. It was sad, even a bit mournful. But before the notes of Taps had fully died away, the bugler began to play Reveille that call to arise or that call for a new day. You see, Churchill wished to give testimony to the truth that death is only a gateway into God's presence, into a life that will be lived in His eternal day. There's a new morning coming, a day that will never end. And Jesus changes the way that we look at death forever. I see a second thing in this passage, in verses 17 to 37, that Jesus enters into our suffering. And He calls for faith on our part. We see that, for example, with Martha, in verse 17 and following. On His arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. It seems that Martha and Mary and Lazarus were well known and well loved, and so many came to pay their respects and to comfort her. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. We don't know the tone in which that statement was made. Some wonder, was it a rebuke? Was Martha saying to Jesus, Jesus, this is your fault. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think so. It seems that she and Mary had been talking about this because in verse 32, Mary will greet Jesus in the same way. I think it was said more as a wish. Jesus, I wish that you had been here. I know if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. I don't think it was finding fault with Jesus. It was a hope. It was a prayer. And Martha expressed her faith in Jesus by saying, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. He will do for you whatever you ask of Him. And Jesus replies to her in verse 22 that your brother will rise again. And she took that as an expression of of the resurrection that is to come in the future. And she said, I know He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I believe that, Jesus. I know that that day is coming. But Jesus meant something even more than that. And so in verse 25, He says to her that I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in Me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in Me will never die. Do you believe this? That passage needs perhaps a bit of explanation in what Jesus is saying there. Because He is talking about both physical death and spiritual death. When He says that I am the resurrection and the life, and He who believes in Me will live even though He dies, He is talking about physical death. That all of us are going to die physically unless we are part of that generation that is here when the Lord returns and we are changed in an instant and taken into His presence. Otherwise, all men will physically die. And yet Jesus said, He who believes in Me will live even though he dies. And in the second part of that statement, He says, And whoever lives and believes in Me will never die. And there He is referring to spiritual death. That those who believe in Jesus Christ will never die spiritually. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, we begin to experience the life of the age to come. We may die physically, but we will never die spiritually, for we have eternal life in Christ. See, Jesus is saying that He is life, and He gives life to all who put their trust in Him. And that changes everything. And then he asks the question of Martha that he asks of all of us, do you believe this? He comes to each of us and he asks us that question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that I can give you that eternal life? And Martha's reply to this question is one of the great confessions in Scripture. It is like Peter's confession in Matthew 16. Martha says three things about Jesus. She says, yes, Lord. Number one, I believe that You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. 
Number two, I believe that you are the Son of God in the fullest sense of the word. I believe that you are God. And number three, I believe that you are the one who was to come into the world. You're the deliverer. You're the Savior that was promised in the Old Testament Scriptures. I believe, Jesus. I believe. It is as high a view of Christ as someone could possibly have prior to the cross. You know, sometimes Martha, because of her being worried and anxious and the story that is told about her in Luke 10, gets kind of a bad rap, perhaps. But Martha was listening to. And Martha had great faith in Jesus Christ. And she had come to see Jesus as her Messiah, her King, as her God, and as her Savior. And Jesus called for Mary, and He called for faith in Mary on Mary's part as well. It says in verse 28 that after Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. And she said, The teacher is here, and He is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly, and she went to Him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Mary came out to meet Jesus and she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. And Mary wept at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus was deeply moved by it. His heart was stirred within. And Jesus also wept. When I look at this passage of Scripture, it shows us so clearly Jesus' human and divine natures are seen in this event. As a man, Jesus wept. He knows what it is to stand beside the grave of someone you love and weep. He enters into our sorrow, and that is tremendously comforting. You know, our God is not like the gods of the nations, the idols of the nations that are made of wood and stone that have no feeling and no compassion at all. And people try to appease them in some way through their sacrifices. Our God is not like that. Our God understands what it's like to suffer and to grieve. Our God understands what it's like to feel sorrow in our heart because He Himself experienced it. He became like us. 
And sometimes we can feel like when we've gone through a difficult circumstance or we've prayed long and hard and nothing seemed to change or it wasn't answered in the way that we thought it should have been answered, we can wonder, where are you, God? And He is there with us. And His arms of compassion are ready to envelop us and comfort us. He does care and He is near. And as God, Jesus has the power to give life because He is life. And He can make all things new. And one day that's exactly what He's going to do. And in the midst of our sorrow, He asks us to trust Him. And then thirdly, in the last part of this passage, we see how faith in Christ changes everything. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, He changes our perspective. He changes the way we look at life and the way that we look at death. Listen to what the Scripture says. Jesus once more was deeply moved and He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance and He said, Take away the stone. And Martha protested. She said, But Lord... By this time there will be a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He called her to trust him. He said again, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? There is this statement that Pastor Ron used a few weeks ago and others have used in regard to this text, that believing is seeing. Believing is seeing in the Christian realm. Jesus said, if you believe, you will see. And there are times in our life when we want to turn that around, and rightly so, and we'll say, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. And we want people to show themselves that they're going to be faithful or responsible or we want to see the cash on the table in a sense or we want to see it before we believe it. But in the spiritual realm, it works the other way. That it requires faith for us to see God work. It requires trust for us to see Him come through and provide and answer prayer in our life. There's a story that James Boyce told about an old Scotsman who was going to a theological conference in his home city. And as he was traveling there along the way, he met a young man and they continued on their journey together toward this conference. And along the way, the old man said, can we pray? And as he prayed, he asked for three things rather boldly. He asked one that God would save a place for him to sit near the front because he was hard of hearing. And if he had to sit near the back, he wouldn't get much out of it. Secondly, he asked for a new pair of shoes because the shoes that he had were wearing out and had holes in them. And thirdly, he asked for a place to stay. This young man had not really heard someone pray quite so specifically, and so he wondered how things were going to go when they arrived at this conference. When they got there, they were late and the place was full, and so the old man stood at the back in the doorway and he put his hand to his ear. There was a young woman up near the front who was saving a place for her father, but her father had said that if I'm late, it's because I've gotten held up and please offer the seat to someone else. So she called an usher 
and said, would you see if that gentleman at the back who has his hand to his ear would like to sit up here? He came to the front. He had a seat near the front. During the service that evening, there was a time when they were asked to pray, and he knelt in prayer, and as he knelt down, this woman noticed that his shoes were worn out, and her father owned a shoe store. And so she asked the man if he would like to come back with her that evening and get a new pair of shoes. And then thirdly, when he was there, she asked him if he had a place to stay for the night, and he did not. And they had a room that would be available for him if he would like to stay with them. The young man saw how this man had faith in God. That believing is seen. That when we place our needs in God's hands, He provides for us exactly what we need. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, He also prayed. They took away the stone and Jesus looked up and He said, Father, I thank You that You have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus didn't need to say this out loud, but he did, for the benefit of those who were there. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Can you imagine how those who were there must have felt? I mean, here many had come to the tomb when Mary came because they thought she was going there to grieve and so they joined her and only added to the crowd that was there. And they witnessed this astounding miracle, the raising of Lazarus who came out still bound in the grave clothes. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And in verses 45 and 46, we see again that therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and they put their faith in Him. But some of them went out to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Lazarus, come out. This was a single event. But the day will come, the Scripture says, when all who are in their graves will hear His voice. And come out. And those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Again, we are not saved by our deeds. But that final judgment will look at our life, and the proof of our faith will be seen in the way that we lived. Did we honor God? Did we love Him? Did we use our gifts for His honor and glory? And once again we see in this text how the response to Jesus was divided. Many believed while others plotted to kill him. All who were there would see the miracle, but only those who believed would understand the meaning of it all. Faith in Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes the way we look at life and it changes the way we look at death. And the question that Jesus asks all of us again is, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And have you put your trust in Him? And can we, like Martha, say about Jesus, You are my King. You are my God. 
You are my Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, you are awesome in your power and in your authority. And just like Martha, we stand in awe in your presence and we acknowledge who you are, our King, our God, our Savior. And like Mary, we bow at your feet and we thank you that you are a God who understands our needs, our circumstances, our trials. Father, help us to live in faith and to walk with you in the light each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.